This is a Media Lab podcast. Akau, what are you doing? Uh, is that a computer and why, why are you hunched over? Oh What's- my God, Dave, I am freaking out over here. We are trying to get home We're on this stupid spaceship and it can't go unless I type in the passcode that it's asking for. It's like I'm being locked out of an iPad that has just been given to me and I have no backstory towards it. All right. Hey, do you have time for like an Aaron Sorkin walk and talk? Yeah. Although I also have this thought, do we want to leave? We're watching pretty good movies here. I, I kind of like that. <laughs> I assumed that you wanted to get back to your family, but yeah, I mean, if you... are okay, but you know, we watched Godfather and Spirited Way. Yeah. What's coming okay. next? We'll talk about it. We're, we're, we're talking about it this week. Here, yeah, come with me. This thing, this imagine that this is like super cinematic and it looks super freaking awesome. Uh, just So just have that in the back of your head. Okay, so over the last week, the machine has been telling me all these things that it wants to do for us. But first, we need to log into this computer system on the ship. However, the machine's not being very forthcoming with what I need to do. All it has is like the four digit passcode here. And it's like the next year we're going to talk about. That is the only hint that it's giving to me. Do you have any idea what we should be typing into there? We could try my passcode. It's one, two, two. Three, four. All right, let's go back here. Let's walk back. Access denied. Ah, damn it. Uh, I only have three, I only three more tries left. Uh, and you know you what? You idiot. I bet this is going to be a two-factor authorization. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine. Cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen, this monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films the machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This, this is, is Kyle, Kyle and Dave versus, versus the machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the machine. My name is Kyle. And I'm still Dave. And I'm the machine. A podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. Although now it's just, you know, trying to get back home. We do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And currently, due to some technical difficulties, we're stuck in this small circular room that is the bridge of a large spaceship. And I'm trying to get back to Earth. Meanwhile, though, we get to talk about a movie called Yee Yee. Once again, a big thank you to our patron, Green Girl YYC, who is uh, holding down the fort, so to speak, over on our Patreon page. Thank you so much uh, for your generous support. Uh, Dave, I I think where we need to start off in our discussion here is just talking a little bit about maybe our history with Asian cinema as a whole. Uh, But if you have any backstory with this movie, too, I'd love to hear it. 
Uh, no backstory. Asian cinema, I have a, a deep and rich... Is that what we're doing for our fiction? I have a deep, yeah, deep and, and rich. rich history. Um, uh-huh. I don't know. I think... Uh, and this is sort of... Uh, ambi-racist, or I don't know what the right word is, but, you know, Asian people like Asian movies. So um, I think the big, and I, I did some backstory uh, digging about Taiwan, but, you know, the big influence the big influence for people of my generation is, of course, um, the birth of Hong Kong mm-hmm. cinema. And we can talk about maybe, you know, kung fu genre and the sort of campy stuff leading into gangster dramas into the 90s and of course the art house stuff with Wong Kar Wai so you know there's a big generating a uh, theme sorry there's a big uh, growing movement in Hong Kong with some just really fantastic movies well doing some research this week knowing that this was the movie we were going to be talking about I tried my best to kind of get a bit of a handle on Taiwanese cinema mm. and from what I could tell again I have no idea, don't live there, do not uh, have uh, like a deep knowledge of their cinema, but it sounds like they're at this like center point of being influenced by Western media and Japan specifically. And that is kind of like the overlap of what Taiwan is. When you look or delve into it a little bit more, you can see the deep influence that things like Ozu and Kurosawa have on them, but also wrapped up in like shots and stuff that are from Western style directors. So it's a kind of an interesting, you know, confluence of those influences. All of Asia has a lot of complex relationships. Uh, first of all, with Japan, which was a yeah. brutal co- uh, colonizer. And then uh, Taiwan is a particular counter cultural uh, influence with mainland China. So I think what I've read is the film industry there started, uh, you know, in the 1900s, like all cinema. Yeah. I'm pretty sure film started in Hollywood. So nice try. Um, but this thing called new wave Taiwanese cinema comes um, at a time where they're trying to develop a Taiwanese cultural identity. Uh, not that they didn't have one, but to express it in medium. So that's probably mid late seventies, something like that, to the eighties. Yeah, so late seventies, early eighties. It seems like that's when the new wave Taiwanese cinema started. So I'm not surprised that by then, you know, we've got uh, a Japanese films and filmmakers coming out of the fifties that have blazed the trail that will get influential status. You know, that wouldn't have gotten in probably in the thirties and forties, where it might have been a you know, blacklist to even watch Japanese films. At, at that point, right. it's quite uh, tense. And American cinema has influenced everything. I, apparently, the reason, one of the reasons I think implied that we, neither of us have even heard of Yi Yi is that the American influence and pirating movies became so prominent in the late 90s that Taiwanese cinema like collapsed. This might be oh. the last uh, prominent Taiwanese film until Ang Lee blew up the scene again, like in the mid 2000s. But um, is Ang Lee ta- from Taiwan? Yeah, Ang Lee is oh, Taiwanese. Yeah. For Mind. some reason, I thought he was Chinese, Blood. so that's that's why. Racist, awful. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, so he's Taiwanese, and uh, you know we know him in America because of all the American movies. Unfortunately, the Hulk, but you know he's uh, apparently made a lot of very important films in Taiwan to bring back. I guess what what do they call it? second generation new wave? But mm-hmm. uh, these guys that we're talking about. Uh, Edward Yang and the star of this movie, I can't is pronounce his name. a writer, I think, as well. He's written a bunch of films. He's the star, I mean. like, yeah. Yeah, he's like, doesn't act. He's part of this new wave founding group. He's a director who's also won some big awards in Venice right. or something. And uh, he's considered the great, one of the great screenwriters of Taiwanese, uh, Taiwanese media. But 
again, we're not Taiwanese. We don't know who、right. these people are. I married into a Taiwanese family. They're very unique. They don't like being called Chinese. And no,、uh, sure. like little nuance, for example, and I don't really have a right to say this, but they speak Mandarin, but it's not the same Mandarin as mainland China. Got、they're, you. Okay. I mean, it's, it's Mandarin, but Chi- when Chinese became communist China, they simplified it and created a state、uh, version of the language、uh, with its own nuanced pronunciation in some of the words. Whereas、uh, the Taiwanese use something called traditional Chinese, which is、uh, Mandarin that, you know, is generational. I, th- I, I think that that is, I mean, not the same thing historically, but just as a language, it is the, the huge difference between. French from France and French from Quebec. Right. <laughs> Those are two very different things. Yeah. And I don't know if it has the same amount of animosity, but.、Uh, right. I know. That's what I mean. Like, it's an interesting. Yeah. It's, it's just an interesting thing. I made a lot of mistakes when we first started dating. I mean, most of your life is a mistake. About、uh, mixing things up. Yeah. I mean, honestly, when I was in my twe- teens, because all the best toys came from Taiwan, I thought Taiwan was a Japanese city. Now he's racist. Because all of the <laughs> coolest toys were made in Taiwan, right? Like Transformers yeah, yeah. and all this stuff. And they're all Japanese TV shows, but I'm, I'm an idiot. It's, it was kind of fascinating to learn a little bit about these people. Unfortunately, in Western Wikipedia, there's not a lot of information about them individually. Yeah, that's the,、so. yeah like、you have to really dig. And, and I, at least for me, watching a bunch of YouTube videos, that was basically me trying to figure out a little bit more from this because Ang Lee really is my entry point into any type of Asian cinema. Uh, of, of really any kind. Definitely, I'd seen some of his like English language films, but and I know that you have,、uh, <laughs> you don't really like the movie all that much, but Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was like this huge touch point for me to be like, oh, this is like this stuff is cool. Like, I really loved that, that movie so much that made me want to explore more of that stuff and really is what got me into wanting to actually see the stuff from、um, Jackie Chan, like his written and directed stuff in China. Of course, he was in like Rush Hour and stuff, and I knew him from that. But I mean, I wanted to see more of that、uh, type of stuff, and that really got me into Japanese cinema. So, like, all he was really the entry point. And then I kind of started to branch out from there. Had you heard about this movie at all before the machine asked us to, to talk about it? Nope. I think、uh, the first time we heard about it in this deep and rich fiction is when the、uh, robot told us about it, but、yeah. uh, the machine. But you and I. Saw some top 100 movies list a couple of months ago, and we're like,、mm. What? How is this even? <laughs> I've never、right. heard of this movie, but、and、it's one considered that was in literally the top 10. Like, it yeah, is in, it's like in considered one、films. of the great、yeah. films of、uh, history amongst that、uh, pure group, of course. So, it is fascinating. I, I didn't even, I don't think I've even watched, other than Ang Lee, I don't think I've ever watched a Taiwanese movie.、Um, right. They're very specific, and they have a bit of a propagandic. Culture, right? I mean, there's a very strong identity to all of the work. I mean, we'll see if this movie represents that too, but it's it's very interesting. You're saying that Taiwan has that or China、yeah. has that? Well, all Asian countries have that. Okay. It, you know, this is what we call, I, I think it's called new wave Korean cinema, is the same thing. If you ever watch Korean movies from like the 90s, they're A, they're fucking awful, and B, they're so focused on trying to define what it means to be a good South Korean person. Because they're、mm. under so many counterculture influences from America, North Korea, China, Japan, et cetera.、Um, you find that everywhere in Asia. They're, they're so close together. And there are a couple of superpowers that differentiating themselves and how they live their daily life is very, very important. Whereas North America is a bit of a melting pot. Like we,、uh, we discussed actually in our secret episode on Existence how weird Canadian cinema actually is. Oh, yeah. 
I think there's a reason because uh, it's not just maple syrup and beaver tails here. Like no, we- but Bikini Cinema is also very often, very intentionally trying not to be Hollywood. Right. Right. But for and a I reason, because right. we don't want to be American. And that's always the, the struggle with the Canadian literature as well. It's like, what is Canadian lit? Like, does it have to be set in Canada or does it just have to be written by someone who lives in Canada? Right. A lot of our great authors are are immigrants into Canada. Like they were not necessarily born here. They actually emigrated here. So like what, how do we consider what is Canadian? What isn't? Um, and I think Taiwan maybe has something similar in that. I, I will only say, but before we go into our break that Edward Yang's other two films, I know better only by name. Mm. I've never watched them, but I've heard of a brighter summer day and I've heard of Taipei story. Uh, but I actually had never heard of this movie whatsoever until, again, the machine told us that we should talk about it. Luckily, all three of them are available on Criterion Channel. So if you have access to that, then you should go and check them out. I just read, and maybe we'll look at this together, Kyle, that what was the one you called? Happy whatever? A Brighter Summer Day is four hours long. Four hours. It's four hours. Apparently that's his magnum opus. So we might need to look at it if we ever get out of this box Right. Quick note, just because uh, I'm going to shout out my wonderful wife. She didn't really get this, but I read that book, Guns, Germs, and Steel, and they trace Polynesian heritage to the island of Taiwan. It's fascinating. What does that Over- mean? What is it, sorry, what does so that mean? There are visual... So I used to joke that she might be Samoan, but it turns out the opposite is true, that all of those Polynesian islands, if you look at their genealogy, they actually root from the island, of, not from China, but from the island of Taiwan. Oh, and so okay. um, they have a very strong case to protect their national identity. It is actually a, quite a crucial link in human genealogy, apparently. Whereas Dave is just a missing link. Like, so we did a DNA test and it's fascinating because we are in no way related. <laughs> like, whereas <laughs> well, I'm that's like- That's good. I, well, I, what I mean is like, I'm apparently I have like 10% of a Japanese genome and, and there are, I mean, it's why Koreans and Japanese don't get along. There's a lot of, contention on who comes from where if you look at manchurians or even the inuit people they share a lot of similarities with koreans and with uh, japanese Mm -hmm. but taiwanese has a very unique uh genome i think it's like a particular you know um indigenous chinese which my wife's family is they're uh right right hokanese or whatever it is so there's so much to learn kyle we gotta get out of our box man yeah get out of your box All right. Well, I'm going to get out of my box for just a moment and go and thank some of our sponsors. And so when we return, can you believe we're still getting sponsors, by the way, while we're up here in this spaceship? The Alberta Podcast Network still sends me stuff via email that I have to read each and every episode as we send these off. (laughs) Alberta strong, man. Yeah, Alberta proud, man. Uh, (laughs) That has a really bad connotation nowadays. Anyways, I'm going to go thank some sponsors. And then when we return, we'll be talking a little bit more about this movie called Yee Yee. Hey there, everyone. Just Kyle breaking into the conversation once again to let you know about some of the great people that keep this show going. I was hanging out at my local GameStop here the other day, just like basking in the glow of its success, thinking about what it must have been like in the early 2000s to be a game designer. That's what I'm pretty sure the father is doing in this movie, Yee Yee. I think about going back to the early 2000s and being that stupid, naive, dopey-faced Kyle and being super excited about the PlayStation 2 coming out because that was going to change gaming forever. There would be no way that graphics would ever look better than what they did on the PlayStation 2. 
Anyway, that's just so I can announce that Calendy vs. the Machine is going to have its own video game. It's going to be a side-scrolling action platformer, and it's going to be awful. But truthfully, Calendy vs. the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is brought to you by the Calgary Foundation. Whether it's funding anti-racism programs, addiction recovery, or food hampers for the hungry, for 65 years, the Calgary Foundation has proudly supported the charitable community to address some of Calgary's biggest challenges. Now, during this period of unprecedented urgent needs, Calgary Foundation renewed its commitment to building a healthy, vibrant, giving, caring, and resilient community. If you're a registered charity looking for a grant, a professional advisor creating a giving plan for your client, or a donor wanting to give back to community, discover a wealth of resources at calgaryfoundation.org and learn more about their work through Calgary Foundation's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. This episode is also brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta. Did you know that it also offers internet now? It does. It offers internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you switch providers, nothing changes about the delivery of these utilities to your home or business. If you have an existing contract, you're going to want to find out the terms before leaving. If you don't, then it's even easier to sign up for Park Power. You, as the consumer, have the choice of who you pay your bills to. Why not choose your friendly local utilities provider? Learn more at parkpower.ca. All right, Dave. Well, that was three hours that we just spent watching the lives of a single family in Taiwan. Uh, I guess in our non-spoilery section here, what are your immediate thoughts? I think metaphorically, it reminded me of when I went camping and I stared at a fire. There's something so uh, meditative, but that's a seeming, great yeah. That's a great uh, analogy. Yes, I couldn't, I couldn't turn away. But it is not exciting in a right blockbuster explosion in ninjas, you know, bloodletting uh, drama. It's just. Uh, Have you been reading the rough draft of my screenplay? It was fascinating. The payoff for sure at the end is worth it, but it is a bit of a drag to get into, particularly because I think you and I don't understand anything about Taiwanese living. So uh, this is like, what I don't know, how, what would you guess the time span? Like 15 days or two months in the life of a Taiwanese family? I actually family? don't even know. I don't <laughs> even know if it gives you enough context clues. I was like, yeah. is this a year? Is this a couple, yeah, a few days, like a week or so? Is this like One five season, months? Maybe? Like. Yeah. I, I don't actually know how long this movie actually encompasses necessarily. But it's great. And I, I found uh, myself very emotional at the end just because uh, it is fairly impactful the way that everything kind of finally gels together. So I, I, I thought it was good. Uh, yeah, it, it sneaks up on you. It, you know, you make fun of me a little bit about like loving Marvel superhero movies, which I do, but I find that actually the movies that are like the deepest things that connect with me are this type of cinema where it is meditative. Like one of my favorite films of all time of like the last whatever decade was Boyhood and Boyhood is very similar. It's like I'm watching one person over three hours and not really anything happens in that movie. Like not really. 
And yet I love it. But the end of it, I'm so emotional because like, boy, I've actually watched this kid grow up over nine years. That's amazing. And then similarly in this one, it's like I'm just watching a family all kind of interact with relationships in different ways over, let's just say, a couple weeks. But it's like all of their like little stories that do all combine into one thing eventually. And I think part of what makes this film work so much is that Edward Yang very intentionally, and this apparently is something from that new wave style, which is like he just sets his camera up and kind of just lets things run. He lets the movement of the people be the movement that we're seeing in the movie. He like very rarely ever moves the camera. When he does, it's like literally either like a pan to the left and then it just stays there again. Or it might be like um, a tilt upwards or something like that. And again, just stays there for us to like take in the scene. And as such, it just really feels like I am literally here in this moment a lot to seeing what is going on with these people. What that allows them to do is it really feels like I'm seeing these intimate moments. Like you see the dad like singing to himself while he's listening to his Walkman. And uh, or, or like the little boy who's like practicing holding his breath by like holding his head under the, like the sink water or whatever it happens to be. I, I will say this in that this is all the reverse of the original Godfather to me. We talked about Godfather 2 last week, but because I rewatched the Godfather in preparation for that, for that movie, it's like I'm totally in that movie from like frame one up until like the last 30 minutes, which I feel kind of loses me a little bit. Still a great movie. This is the exact opposite. I was like, I don't know for like the first like 30, 40 minutes. And then it was totally gripped for the rest of it. And like the rest of like the like that next two hours and 20 minutes is like, I'm totally in this entire movie. Like I want to know what happens sort of thing. So it's like the inverse <laughs> of both of those films. Weirdly, both start off with a uh, with a wedding. So who knows what uh, if there's any other similarities. But yeah, overall, I, I think that it has like a lot to say about like the human condition and all that kind of stuff. But I kind of just like like you said. Like a fire, I'm just entranced, and I like just being a part of that world for a bit. So yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of this movie overall. I didn't verify this, but you know what struck me is I don't think that there's a musical score underneath. I I had this sense by the end that, again, with this is why I had the fire analogy that underneath, like even in the dramatic moments or the buildup at the end, it's not like you have this big orchestra coming in the back to to cue you to understand that you should be crying or that this is a moment of suspense or violence as you brought up. It's like it all. I, and again, I, I didn't actually Google this, but it feels like intentionally the sounds that are happening from the action are what make this so vivid. Everything from even the nuances of using, uh, let's say the TV news reports or whatever is in the background audio to be, or the movies it's all part of the experience of what these characters are experiencing. Mm -hmm. um, but there are also foreshadowing and like leading clues that push the narrative a little bit to let you know what to expect. So um, by the end, I, um, well, they, I don't know, can we talk about that little quip in the middle of the movie? You know, you live three lives. I, I feel like I got to be a part of a Taiwanese fam family mm -hmm. for three hours, you know? Um, well, yeah, th there's that. But there's also very early in the movie, I think it's the little, the son and the dad are in the car. And he's like, isn't it weird oh, yeah. how, like, I'll never be able to see what you see and you'll never be able to see what I see? And, of course, he does, like, the typical dad thing. He's like, whatever, whatever. And, like, he, like, hand waves it away and keeps driving his car. But it's like. No, that's not what he did. That, he that's a, that's he a, acknowledged it. Did you see him smiling? Like, he. 
he sees that his son is wise. It's beautiful. I don't know. We don't want, I don't know. Are we spoiling it or should no. we? <laughs> I mean, the last thing I just wanted to say, I, I, I don't think it's entirely subtle what's happening. I think it's very obvious that they are uh, comparing and contrasting different family members against one another at different stages of their life. You know, you've seen the dad reignite an old flame sort of while at the same time, his daughter is having like her first boyfriend crush thing that's happening. What, what they also do which I loved is that the, he uses reflection a lot of the oh, time. Where it's those like, shots are so beautiful, man. He sits on a window's reflection of the action that's actually happening or shooting through a window. So it's like we're really seeing, again, what that kid is saying at the very beginning, which is like at certain times of the day, a window is something you can see through. And other times it's a mirror that's only reflecting back at you. Again, I don't think that's like a subtle thing that the filmmaker is trying to sneak by us, but it's like, uh, a, a really cool technique that he's utilizing throughout the entire movie to use reflection versus being seen through a window at different times. That's like uh, auteur level stuff. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what the again? I, I don't think it's spoiling, but I mean, this is clearly a. I mean, the photographs. So good. this is clearly a. I don't know who did the cinematography or whether this is in fact the director, but this is someone who has full control of what light does through a camera lens, et cetera. And so the one that I really impact made the impact other than some of the reflections when he flips the blinds closed and it becomes the mirror of the city. Yes. And yeah, uh, yeah. fuck, I was like, this is, this guy knows what he's doing. This yeah, Edward yeah. guy, this Edward guy's got it, you know? Uh, well, well, that's what I mean. It's like <laughs> he, he knows exactly where to put his, his camera because there's, there's moments where it's just like, it's a street, but then like the daughter somewhere will, come in and she like is standing like center frame and then someone else enters and like all their stuff happening around them but they're like perfectly enclosed in the middle of the frame and the lights are flicking around in fact i don't know again this is another thing no idea if this is like a happy accident or they were somehow able to cue the lights i know the red light to the The red green and the blink because it's like as soon as he says yes it turns green and then when she's a little bit sound it turns red and like Yes. That feels like this is timed, but I don't know if that's actually been timed. I got <laughs> or, he, sen- or he sat there at that intersection being like, how much do I have to get them to say before I can flip the light on? That's what I got the sense at the end. I was like, this might have been the 10th take. They right. know they have 45 seconds. But, I, you know, we don't know. We weren't we, I have no idea. No but idea. That's what it, it's so perfect. You know, those little mm-hmm. new, especially as it builds to the end, you start really... I mean, if we ever were to sit down for another three hours to watch this from the beginning. Nothing's stopping you. You literally have nothing but time right now. It might have been there from the beginning. I say we make it like a New Year's Eve tradition. <laughs> we just watch this for three hours. You know, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say no because, uh, you know, three hours is, is a lot of my life. But what else am yeah. I doing with it, Kyle? I'm, you know, I'm mostly spending my time You're with doing you. You're doing those so. fleets, aren't you? Aren't you trying to figure out what fleets are? Fleeting it. It's my... Yeah. Hashtag. Well, let's get into some backstory here. So Yee was released May 14th, 2000 at Cannes. That was where it's like world debut happened. It would then go out to a bunch of film festivals. I could not find like conclusively when this was actually released (laughs) into like wide release. I don't even know if this had a wide release in North America, but you could go and see it at a bunch of film festivals in October of 2000 in North America. And I think it says in Canada, there was a December 2000 release of this movie, too. So a TIFF, maybe? Actually, no, a TIFF, maybe, probably. Yeah, maybe but, it was October. Uh, regardless, there was, it did come out into theaters. Currently, it is rated 8.2 on IMDb. It has a 93 on Metacritic. 
And then on Rotten Tomatoes, from 86 critics, it has a 97%. And from 7,652 users on Rotten Tomatoes, it's at a 91%. That's pretty low for users on Rotten Tomatoes, I will say. Like, a number of users, that's pretty small, but still rated at 91%. It is available on DVD and Blu-ray. And currently, at least in North America, the only way to stream this is on the Criterion channel. It's not able to be bought bought or rented on other platforms. That's why there's no user reviews. Maybe. Like many things that we're trying to find now. Nothing is available for X, Y, Z reason. It's a little frustrating at this point. Yeah, I will say, like, if you are, like, a like a film snob fan, then the Criterion Channel is kind of a steal of a deal. <laughs> like, it gives you so much stuff uh, that gets kind of refreshed on a monthly basis, but there's some things that stay on there. Basically, all of Japanese cinema is available to you if you want to go and watch it. Not that I want to break our possibility of a Criterion sponsorship, but Criterion, fix your UI, man. Well, that's, that is also true. The UI is pretty terrible, but Awful. the content, the Beautiful. content is great. Yeah. I have no information on its budget, its opening, or how much money it made. I know that it made in North America uh, like $1.8 million, which is pretty low for, for any type of release in North America. So that is probably playing at like a very small number of theaters. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really know if this was considered a success monetarily. This feels a lot like... Canadian cinema and that it's probably government funded and, and very art house kind of like for festival circuit stuff. This mm. doesn't seem to me to be a movie with worldwide distribution appeal. It is something like many great films that is being scored on its own merits rather than, you know, its popularity. And I, right. even if this was released in North America, I don't think North American audiences could appreciate it. Not the American audiences that need a trailer to spoil an ending you fucking idiots, just to go and shell out money to go see a movie, right? Uh, It is weird statistically to think about why that's happening as a marketing tool. Yeah, yeah. Who who is out there that needs that much encouragement to watch a goddamn movie? Maybe it's unfair, but I blame Topeka, Kansas. Just go and watch it. Just Just watch it, man. Just watch it, man. Its plot description from IMDb is... Each member of a middle-class Taipei family seeks to reconcile past and present relationships within their daily lives. But it's, yeah, that's it's, true. That is what this yeah, movie's about. Yeah. It stars Nian Jian Wu as NJ, Issei Ogata as Mr. Ota, Suyun Ko as Sherry, Kelly Lee as Ting Ting, and Jonathan Chang as Yang Yang. I, we already mentioned Nian Jian Wu is the other person who is considered one of those like new wave filmmakers. The two kids, uh, like the teenage daughter that is in this movie, this is the only movie she ever made. And I'm actually pretty shocked at that, that she never came back because she does actually a pretty great performance. The young kid, Yang Yang, uh, I think made four or five other films, but hasn't made anything since 2012. And then uh, Mr. Ota and Sherry have extensive (laughs) careers since this movie in a bunch of different projects. So uh, anything else you want to say, I guess, about any of those actors? No, I, I think the only thing that I thought was interesting, so Asian, is that Edward Yang and uh, Wu Nianjin were like trained engineers and stuff uh, oh, before yeah, they well, got to go into cinema because that's an Asian standard. <laughs> let me get into this. So this is, of course, written and directed by Edward Yang. He always wanted to become a filmmaker. That's kind of his background. Wanted to become a filmmaker. So he decides, that's what I'm going to do. And he goes to USC Film School. I should don't. I should have checked this where USC Film School is. Anyways, goes to this film school, 
and drops out, I think, after one or two semesters because he became so disenchanted that their focus was on the commerce of filmmaking rather than the art of filmmaking. So like you said, yes, he goes and becomes an engineer. That's what he does. He gets a degree in engineering and was working in like microcomputers and like defense software is what he was working on, where he by accident. Do you know what movie he saw by accident? Yeah, a Werner Werner Herzog. Herzog. Yeah, Aguera, The Wrath of God, which is a great (laughs) movie, by the way. If you've never seen Aguera, it's also on the Criterion channel. So you can go and check that out. Such Uh, a Werner Herzog title, isn't it? Yeah, (laughs) yes, it is. Uh, I am. I love Werner Herzog so much. Like the guy is so fun. He's on the first season of The Mandalorian. If you want to go check out Werner Herzog, but uh, anyway, so he sees this film and he's like, "Oh my gosh!" Like movies can be more than just commerce; they can be all this stuff. So he basically does this crash course from that point on of like world cinema is what he called it. So all these different directors and to see what uh, was possible. So then he decides, "I'm going to go back into filmmaking." And as we mentioned, it becomes this one of the founding members of Taiwanese New Wave. And some of his other films before this were Taipei Story and A Bright Summer Day. He was kind of just becoming known to the world, like because of those two films and this film in particular. Because uh, even at the time in 2000, film critics and like peers were saying, like, this is like, like great. Like, this is a perfect encapsulation of what can happen in world cinema. And like, this is one of the new masters that we should be following. Unfortunately, this would be his last feature film that he ever made because he would pass away in 2007 to colon cancer. So like just literally as he was becoming like this world renowned film director, he passes away. Uh, But he does leave that he still left us like this huge body of work (laughs) that we can still go. But it would still be interesting to see what Edward Yang would be doing in present day if he was still alive. Not to be a downer, but it is interesting looking at some of the directors we've looked at. So, for example, I had a very Stanley Kubrick and Francis Ford Coppola feeling at the first half an hour of this movie. It's so, like the so deliberate, so saturated, so mm-hmm. intentional, and neither of them held up through generational movie telling. <laughs> um, there's something sure. very uh, necessary and specific about the experience that they're depicting in film of that era but you know to compete with again the the, who i just snidely hated on the movie market the commercial movie market and how you get funding for this stuff i don't know how you stay relevant uh i think he would have directed like uh, iron man 2 obviously (laughs) they would asked and he would have been four and a half hours of him (laughs) just like staring at his suit and be like can i do this anymore (laughs) it's not hamlet it's not hamlet but uh, yeah i uh but yeah, I mean, look at Ang Lee. He blew up and he's disappeared. I- well, he hasn't disappeared, but he's, as he, he himself has uh, admitted, he has become so focused that high frame rate is going to be the future of cinema that that's what he's been focusing on for his last three movies that have all been kind of terrible. But um, yes, I, I, I get your point. I seed your point, is what I should say. <laughs> yeah, it's tragic, though, that he passed away and we couldn't actually, this has to be hypothetical because, um, yeah, it's nice to imagine that People that can build art like this um, mm-hmm. could, might, you know, potentially have staying power. Your optimism is sickening. He would have definitely, I think, been named in the pantheon of auteurs, uh, but for sure, nobody knows who any of these Taiwanese directors are, which is a bit of a tragedy. It was a bummer. Yeah. Well, let, let's open this conversation up then, so that we can spoil things. Although, I've, to be perfectly frank, I don't know how much this movie can be spoiled, except for like one thing. 
which I kind of wish I had not read the plot description that Criterion uses for this movie because they spoil the fact that the grandmother dies at the end. And I didn't know. And so because I knew that was coming, I was like, "Mm, I think I would have liked it had that been a question uh, that was being raised. Like, is she going to wake up uh, type of thing? Well, I got to watch it purely. Yeah, that's good. So um, I, I win again. Kyle, because yes, I, I got to watch it. No, um, now, nicely enough, because the machine has allowed us to uh, stay in contact with friends and family members, we can FaceTime. We can we have the uh, of course the um, we have hologram, hologram technology yeah, hologram. on on this uh, spaceship here. Uh, so you were talking with your wife, and I sent some questions to you to ask her. Uh, I don't know if you can break down some of this because one of the things that I was mostly curious about, I said that this starts off with a wedding. And what I was like curious about, like, not that it matters, well, it matters and it doesn't matter at the same time. Is Christianity like the number one religion there? Is that what even that wedding was? Like, I was trying to like ascertain that and coupled with like their focus on luck and lucky days and stuff. So I was trying to parse that. And being an outsider, I was like, I don't know if I totally understand what's going on. Generally in East Asia, Christianity does not have a foothold. So um, they've come in through missionaries and Korea is susceptible to cults. There's a lot of Christianity in Korea, but for the most part, uh, Asian countries have their own unique approaches, but they generally revolve around some Buddhist structure uh, with the exception of Japan, which has Buddhism and Shinto. If you want, we could talk about that, but... uh, (laughs) I would be this. It would be you telling me because I have literally not. I don't know anything about Shinto or Buddhism, really. So I don't know. Other than I'm trying to reach Nirvana and something about the Bodhisattva and blah blah blah. I took a Buddhism course in in university, so I know like words, but that's about it. Yeah, Shinto's. If we want to understand why Japanese people have a very unique view of the world and their place in it, we should read up on Shinto religion and all of their uh, really interesting uh, religious beliefs, but. Now, I don't know if we're going to cut this in as Helen uh, interrupting me, but she says that her uh, grandma on her mom's side was Buddhist, but her dad's side, uh, and there's some drama there, uh, they were raised Catholic. Mm. Um, And so her family is very, and I can attest to this, very non-religious. She is very unique. This might be why she's been able to put up with me for 20 years. Uh, She has no grounding in religion at all. She's never even been in a church it's fascinating. Uh, she has been to a Buddhist camp and a temple before, but mm-hmm. not in any kind of regularity. She would say that in her estimation, Buddhism is the most prevalent religion in Taiwan. And Buddhism as religion itself is very nuanced. There's a lot of different yeah. versions. So um, yeah, I think what you were witnessing is a very Chinese ceremony. So I've been to Chinese weddings. That is what a Chinese wedding looks like even outside of spiritual norms, you just have the color palettes, you have uh, large uh, banquet tables, you have gifts, you have uh, drunken people throwing up on each other. It's just, um, the thing is less religious, I think, than cultural. Uh, and I think that is just a quote unquote Chinese Asian gotcha. wedding. So the, the brother-in-law that is like, like he wants the birth of his son to be on a specific day. He waited to be married on a very specific day. Is that a Buddhism thing or is that just a character thing of that character? That's a Chinese thing across all Chinese culture. Koreans are a little bit less than this, but any Asian culture that follows lunar calendars is so superstitious. It's it's actually kind of uh, a bit of a pantomime. So Helen says, you know, culturally lucky days are definitely a thing. So her anecdote is that... um, 
her mom actually has a separate calendar which tells you much like in the movie well which day is suitable for what so there are good days for births there are good days for weddings um there's a good day to open a business and to have a funeral mm. not everyone is obsessed with it but uh, she says there's even a spectrum on what how much luck you might have on a day but people will actually intentionally defer events uh, to land on a lucky day we we know this even with emerson there there was talk about how to name him what time he's is he born on what day like oh, people boy. are associated with fate with that stuff well so my only background of that when uh, i used to sell cell phones is that there was a feature on many of the carriers websites that were and that's what they called it back then so this might be a little bit uh, racist now but it was chinese numbers is what you could select from so basically there are certain numbers that maybe chinese customers would not want to have in their phone number yep. so you could just like yeah, here is a list of numbers that is available that don't have any of the unlucky numbers inside of them. That comes from, and I, you must, I don't know, I'm assuming you might know this, but uh, Chinese is one of the few languages that does not use an alphabetic system. So everything is symbols. Right. It's a fascinating language that has persisted and been so prevalent. And one of the side effects or one of the nuance of that is that some of the characters are shared with other words. So four is written the same way you say death. And there are, right, other, yes, and yeah. I think eight is luck. And there's all these nuanced things that come together. We do have stuff like that in English, but I couldn't name them offhand because, you know, with an alphabetic system, you can change the spelling or, or create an well, intonation. Well, there's uh, what they call homonyms. So words that sure. sound the same, but they're spelled different and sometimes have vastly different meanings. Right. I, one of the, just bringing up that point, something we were talking about before we push record, but apparently that uh, your wife, Helen, disagree with slightly is the actual name of this movie because it's called yi 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 is one as far as i know is that in chinese or is that in a different language that yi is one chinese yeah that's in chinese this the the name that shows up on the title card of this movie when you watch it is a one and a two that is what it is a youtube video essay that i watched from someone who also lives in taiwan this is what they said it's like why this movie works on a couple of different levels just from the name of it is that that's also a way to talk about marriage or a relationship where it's like you are individually ones, but together you're a two. I don't know if that's subtext that we can throw into there, but that is also partly why this movie is called the way it is. Yeah, I, the only thing I can add is I have failed miserably so many times at learning Chinese, but um, to that point, uh, and if this is, I think it finishes at three, but one is a single horizontal line, two is two horizontal lines, and three is three horizontal lines. So they have different mm -hmm. lengths. Yeah. And after that, the characters become their own um, yeah. setup, uh, which is why I turned to her, uh, presumably, and asked her about the English translation because it comes up in the subtitles, one and two. And she yeah. just gave me this look like, what the fuck are you talking about? But I think from an artistic metaphorical sense, I could totally see uh, movie nerds reading into that and Edward Yang reading it, like wanting that to be interpretive. But as a snap judgment wife was like, I don't even know why it's called Yi. So, you know, yeah. there you go. <laughs> um, is there anything else that she picked up on that was like uniquely Taiwanese cultural related that maybe you or and I would not pick up on at all? Yeah, she came to Canada in the 80s, so I think that she really identified with some of the things that were occurring to this family, which may likely not still hold true, because now we're sure. in the 2020s. But uh, So, for example, one of the things she talked about was um, there's a, a small scene where uh, the, cra cra it turns out, crazy uh, neighbor's uh, friend's mother 
uh, gets excited when she sees her in a school jacket and says, oh, you go to this whatever preparatory academy. And that's, I mean, this is an Asian thing in general, but you know, the school in that era was more famous than anything people would move. I, I think Canada has something similar. So it says the best high school in Taiwan and uh, the school is famous. So she says that school is actually famous even when she lived in Taiwan, the name of that particular school in Taipei. In Taiwan, you go to school based on your uh, test results and it doesn't matter necessarily where you live. So if you are considered a smart person, then you get to go to the smart person school. And then the only other thing she talked about, uh, which is that you can tell visually that schools in Asia are different. <laughs> so like with the principal wielding a large yeah. stick and being sure. an asshole, that is a trope. And my parents uh, in Korea too would talk a lot about uh, what teachers were allowed to do. I think we have that a little bit in uh, historical times, but this is the 90s. So it was quite prevalent. I, I have a suspicion it's still a little bit more prevalent to be a little bit cruel. Academics in developing countries is uh, such a priority. I'd love to be a teacher that could carry a big stick. The only other nuance that she picked up on, which I kind of know about, is that there are two languages spoken in Taiwan. So typically the main language is Mandarin, but there's a traditional Taiwanese um, I can't remember what it's called, and not a lot of people use it. But she noted that the uh, the main character and his ex girlfriend, you know, when they meet in the elevator, they're actually speaking Taiwanese to each other. And it's oh, only okay. that moment which kind of she perked up, and she's like, "Why are they speaking?" So we were starting to guess that maybe they had a a farmer rural background because she says that's where it's more prevalent. But yeah. they never bring it up again, and and they end up uh, switching over to traditional Mandarin after, which I think is a interesting thing i don't know if the video essay expanded on this point but no but there's an intentional choice there oh yeah i think that that that's an interesting choice that i absolutely would not have picked up on but probably people in taiwan absolutely would which is like they definitely have a history then (laughs) and we don't have to explicitly be like say it out loud like we just they can pick up on it right away and know what's going on i also love movies that have like three or four different languages being spoken because uh, even this one has english for a while that the characters and some are speaking japanese because and, yep the japanese and and taiwan person like that's the only language they both can speak so what's interesting about this movie too having come off talking about the movies of 1999 so much because this is contemporary to the year 2000 it's so funny going seeing them go to the movie theaters and seeing like all the posters of movies we've talked about on this podcast, yeah. uh, which is fun. I really want to know the movie that they were actually talking about that they went and saw <laughs> <laughs> and see if we agree with their uh, assessment. Well, we did see uh, Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, I think. Uh, I believe you mean Star Wars colon Episode 1 dash The Phantom Menace. Yes. Oh, yeah, there was a poster of that movie in one of the scenes. Do you have any sense of what the father is doing? I mean, like, what is his job? What is it? What is this company that he's a part of? It, it looks like a video game development company. I thought and so way, too, but yeah. it seems so. I don't know. It seemed weird, like the jobs that he was being asked to do. I, I mean, yeah, and we don't know how this world works, but you know, I, as we talked off mic, Helen and I were watching Big uh, mm-hmm. on New Year's Eve several weeks ago. Simple, I think. So yeah, <laughs> uh, even that, like the depiction of what a toy company looks like from the inside, 
is so opposite of what you expect a toy company. So I think there's a nuance. I think too, you know, Taiwan at this point is going through an economic restructuring, the way they talk about knockoff brands and how these things are developed. So, you know, we have these images, like Apple TV had Mythic Quest. You have this image of the American video game studio where it's like this yeah. hub and everybody's yelling at each other and playing video games. I don't think that's how the 90s worked. And uh, and it felt like a bit of a dry office environment. But Well, yeah, and this would have been kind of coming into like the first internet bubble too, right? Where like right. so many companies were coming in and felt like they're talking about like AOL and some other companies that they're talking about. What I found fascinating though is that there's a character who's like, we're moving into content. Content is yeah. the next thing that we're moving into. No. As like, boy, that is going to become even more relevant in 20 years. When that's just like, we have to do content. Content is the most important thing. Well, it gives you also insight that and we talked about this in 99. People knew in a sense what was coming. It was just whether or not you could catch the wave, right? Like when mm. Google came out, there were so many search engines. Whatever it is that they did to to win that war, it's not like they were the only ones who knew that that was where you know this coming. money was going to be. It's just Alta Vista and fucking whatever. They all just sucked at it. So Kyle built me to only use Ask Jeeves. Yeah. So this is a world where I think it's a computer game company. You know, I can't remember the Japanese character's name, but he's a video game designer who wants to get away from the norm and build a content-based sort of like immersive experience. So I don't think they're programmers per se, but looking actually at where these director and the actor come from educationally they were programmers and they were electrical engineers. So they may have insight into that uh, world as it was in Taiwan at the time too, because yeah. uh, it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a game company. It's uh, doesn't feel fun. Uh, no, it, it certainly doesn't. Uh, Jennifer Hall is in our comment section here because we're live streaming on YouTube. I don't know how like light speed works where we're at, but she is tuning in while we're, while we're talking. It's the future. Uh, she says she has never heard of this film. Looks like it made almost $1 million, but I don't watch movies that earn less than a billion. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, man. so that, that's, uh, that's her comment on that. That's um, awful. <laughs> uh, I, there's just a few things that I've written down in my notes that I just want to like tick off here. Uh, number one, uh, she did actually forget to take the garbage downstairs, so she might be the reason that her grandmother <laughs> collapsed. Okay. Uh, I just Karma, noticed that. Man. Because she ties it up and then puts it down, stares at the boy like down from the balcony and then she leaves without taking the garbage with her. And I noticed that the first time. I was like, mm. <laughs> you said you were going to take the garbage out and you certainly did not. Um, oh, sure luck. I think there's some comments that characters state that like really feed into this theme that the movie's trying to like portray about like how I think meaning works over time. Like it's like, I hated my father's music until I fell in love with somebody and then it meant something. Like those lyrics actually meant something to me. Of course, the kid's saying like, I can't see what you see. You can't see what I see. But I love how that ties into the photos that he takes at the end, where it's just taking photos of the back Those of people's heads. pictures are so beautiful. You know? Well, they're beautiful. But when they first start flipping through them, it's like, that's also what a serial killer would do. <laughs> yeah. It's like well, pictures of the backs of his victims' heads and then, you know, there was, collect uh, them. But. We found this old, I don't remember if you, like they, they, used, they still kind of make them, but they used to make these quote unquote indestructible cameras, point and shoot digital cameras. So we had bought this one for our honeymoon and we found it when Emerson was about two. Right. It was like this little uh, front panel sliding Sony. And for the three months he had it before he broke the unbreakable camera, uh, the <laughs> pictures he was taking, much like this, I mean, they weren't singular and intentional the way this kid, because this kid's like a Buddha in this movie, but right. just even getting an angle of what a two-year-old or a three-year-old sees is 
I mean, that's the power of photography. I, I think. Well, he'd have to be at least five or six going to school, would he not? Oh, no, I'm, I'm talking about my son. Yeah. Oh, your son. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, this kid is probably in uh, grade two or something because he's, I think he's supposed to be small, just like his dad. Like it became yeah. so intentional, all the parallels that his dad is not a tall person. The woman mm. that he was obsessed with him is quite a bit taller it's than tall. him uh, yeah, visually. Yeah. So I, you know, he, he like to have that consciousness, he's probably 10 even. I think they, don't they give him a number? Isn't he I like so. 10 or something? It uh, doesn't matter. Also, um, this also points to the vast difference between Western films versus European or Asian films. Because I just I noticed this. I was watching, um, oh, her name is Celine something with an S. She directed yeah. The Portrait of a Lady on Fire here this last year or two years ago, I guess now. And I watched all the rest of her films because, again, they're all on the Criterion channel. And there is a movie where a 13, 14 year old girl is like fully nude for like a couple seconds on film. I'm like, Ooh, you would not see that in a Western film. Like straight up would not happen. And in this film, you have like a 10 year old boy who is naked also for like a couple seconds before he like puts his towel back on. I was like, Oh, also something that would never happen in a Western film. Like there would just be so many people on you. There's close down production. If that happened. Yeah. I mean, that's a thing though about North American puritanical culture that it's, I mean, it's what gives rise to cancel culture right now. It's this idea that, that you set an ideal that everybody else has to obey. Otherwise, you're the devil. Like literally, you will go to hell. So while I am not a proponent of more <laughs> childful frontal nudity. No, I nudity, think that's exactly what you're saying. You want more kid nudity in our films is what I you're trying to that, say. I think that everything has to be done in context, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I I don't know. Like, neither of those, neither like neither this movie or the movie I'm referring to is it gratuitous in any way. No. It's not sexualized in any way. It's, like, it's just something adorable. that happens in the scene. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we had a giggle because uh, Emerson used to do that all the time. I mean, he still does that my, sometimes. My Runs nephew out. does this all the time. Like, he has a bath at my parents' place because he, he just... always gets dirty out on the farm. And he's, like, jumping and running around. It's like, dude, like, just put a towel on. Like, what's he's going like, look on? look at my butt. Look at my butt. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to look at your butt. Just put on some underwear. And he's like, butt, butt, butt. I'm like, what <laughs> is this life that I've chosen for myself, Kyle? <laughs> yeah, um, really? But uh, yeah, you know, and there are lines. I mean, uh, look at the recut of, Lef uh, of uh, The Profession of Leon, mm -hmm. you know, because the American audience, uh, I don't know if that was a Weinstein movie, but they wouldn't have appreciated that Natalie Portman actually is falling in love with uh, Leon. Uh, that's mm -hmm. a weird concept. It's just, it happened. Deal well, with it, America. To, Deal to with that it. point, I was going to say, like, at uh, that kid's age, I know 100% I probably would not know what a condom is. So <laughs> I felt like... <laughs> was it even a condom or was it just a person no, being a an asshole? Yeah, he was just the, being the an guys, asshole. Yeah, he was just being an asshole. Um, <laughs> it's just a balloon that he has. But it's yeah. like, I don't know what a condom is. I'm like, I also probably wouldn't know at 9 or 10 what a condom was. I love Not until that. junior high would I know what a condom was. That's because you were very uncool. I love this kid's character that he's... I mean, he's, he's a Buddha, but he's also so uh, driven and scientific when he's trying to fill the water bo uh, balloon with water and he's using all these different techniques fucking, or like when he's teaching himself how to swim by holding yeah. his breath in his sink. Yeah. I mean, I loved all of those little things because they're so, I don't know. There was a lot of power in that. Well, I mean, that's the other thing. I, I don't know if the filmmakers are intentionally playing with this idea uh, but the other thing that made me were the other thing that reminded me of boyhood is that in boyhood, there's this scene where the kids are playing with like this circular saw and they have to throw it into the drywall. And it's like, oh, this is an American film. So obviously one of these kids is going to get impaled by this saw. There's going to be a bunch of blood and that's going to be 
part of like the issue he has to live with. And then nothing happens. Like there's a tension in that scene because it's like, obviously the saw is going to get thrown into somebody uh, and then nothing happens. And in this film, like he jumps off and you heard him like gurgle for a bit. I'm like, Oh, he's going he to he's yeah. gonna, gonna die. Yep. And I totally thought that's what the movie was going to go to. And then he walks in like totally drenched. He's like, Oh, you got rain. Smiling. And, like, having like, a great like, day. Of course. Oh. Yeah. You're having a great day. So it's like, they, they play around with like that just like beauty of human life where it's like there is no three act structure to like our lives necessarily yep. um so things just kind of weave in and out of being meaningful or not and i thought that was pretty beautiful by the end of it same thing with uh the disconnect between like the daughter and the boyfriend who's like a huge piece of shit but uh, regardless you know they have that conversation where he's like like oh movies mean so much which mm-hmm. like would be totally me at that age by the way but she's <laughs> I mean, like, at that age i mean we this is why we're, we're, we're doing the podcast <laughs> yeah yeah that's right but she's like who needs movies just stay at home and live life i'm like yeah mm-hmm. that's probably better <laughs> advice than to get wrapped up into stuff like that but i thought that was such a beautiful debate and i think i agree with both of them I think there's, I mean, even with my photography, I talk about this in my other podcast. I think if you spend your whole life with your camera in your hand, just trying to see the world through your viewfinder, you're missing something. And if you spend your whole life without that, you might miss something too. And then this idea that fiction, reading movies has this ability to create empathy. Uh, I think that's a powerful thing that has been lost in our world. We've lost the ability to connect forms of art with something spiritual and experiential and wholesome we just want pleasure you know we want we want something visceral and we want to leave and not think i, about I agree it. with that and that like that's part of the the worst thing about like i love this movie and at the same time like i know that for 95 percent of people i could not actually recommend them watching this right. because it's Absolutely. like they're gonna be bored after five minutes that nothing has happened and shut it off because they're gonna look at like this is two hours and 45 minutes left that i have to watch uh well, sort of thing Helen turned away like right. 20 minutes in i already saw her on her phone mm-hmm. but a because i just i wouldn't turn off and b by the end she was in it because yeah, yeah if you have the patience to get, to get through the fact that this is not a hollywood blockbuster um, this becomes a philosophical work. This is... But, but, this I, but, but I'm saying thing. that... And, yeah. and, and, I, I, I always am trepidatious of getting into this conversation because it always is going to sound like blockbusters are the worst and they shouldn't be made. And that's not really what my position is. I'm just saying that that shouldn't be the only type of film that gets yes. made. There's a place for that in a time where I want to sit back and be like, yeah, sure, tonight is an Avengers night. And I, I don't have to really pay attention to this movie all that much and still get something out of it. Whereas there's something like this where it's like, yeah, like this is like put the phone in the other room, sit and watch this and meditate over it for the next three hours and you are going to get something out of it. I think by the end of it, but it's going to be the same thing that I get out of it. I don't know, but there's, you're going to get something out of it. Why can't you watch Yee Yee and then follow it up with Step Brothers? You should be able to do <laughs> right. both. Yeah, right? exactly. If a you perfect, want. A perfect pairing. Actually. <laughs> it's a great double feature, you know? Yeah. Just, why not? Just flip the switch. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we've talked, I guess a bunch here about like things that have happened, but is there any other like underlying theme that you wanted to bring up? I mean, one of the things that maybe Western audiences don't key in, I mean, I, I don't know if this is entirely true, but Asian culture is not just family uh, oriented, it's like uh, society oriented. So there's, this is a Confucian ideology, but there are very strong structures of owing 
honor and allegiance and responsibility, fidelity all the way up a chain. And so when the matriarch of the family has a stroke, that's a very, it's not because she's sick or she's going to die. That is a destabilization of their family. Right. And yeah. we do see that by the end of the movie, how important that is. But I think if you come from an Asian world, you will immediately feel that more on a emotional level. And uh, because it, it's one of the reasons why uh, this world of individualism can have a lot of power, as we saw in the heyday of the American Republic, but it's also corrupting because there's not a lot of core. And Asia is kind of the opposite. There's great familial power and social structure, but then you put a despot or a communist party on it and, uh, you know, fucks itself up too. But uh, mm -hmm. there, there's a quite a lot of energy put there that maybe assumes that. I, you know, I think that we talked about this religious thing, this Buddhistic, almost stoic idea, like the main character, how fascinating is it how even keel he is? He's like, mm -hmm. he's like the single line throughout the whole movie where he is the least dramatic and yet the focal point of the whole narrative. So there's like one or two instances where he might get agitated, but he never overreacts to anything. And it's not that he's the hero. He, he doesn't actually solve anything, but they keep him and his son in this like very center line. Uh, as everything starts to kind of shake. The one negative I have, and this is not anyone's fault, this is just a product of the 90s and Asian upbringing. All the women are hysterical. All the men are, with the exception of Adi, who's a, who's a piece of crap, uh, but that's also a pantomime, a character of an Asian sort of right. cinema. There's always a clown and there's always a, a beggar. Clown and beggar was the original name of this podcast. It is a little grating by the end. <laughs> You know, at least the daughter got a role where she's quite a powerful figure, but it, it's a little exhausting to see like the wife having to go to a convent and right because you, you know, can't like, deal with it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Well, I mean, that was actually kind of the thing because that's uh, that's almost how the movie starts, where there's someone who comes into the wedding, freaks out, she yeah. has, and then there's a, a bridal shower that happens later on. Same thing kind of happens. The wife can't take it anymore. Like, so it seems like to be a recurring thing for for that sort of I don't know characterization. I mean, it's not just an Asian stereotype. I mean, that's a problematic patriarchal stereotype, but that is something that is very Asian cinema, where no matter what genre you watch, particularly in this area, you watch comedy, you watch an action movie, a gangster film, the women are always screaming and crying. It's just, mm -hmm. I mean, we saw that too in the 90s. There's yeah. not a lot of good, strong writing for, for female characters. Ha have you seen the movie The Farewell at all? Is that the Aquafina one? Yes. Yeah, I, we watched that. That's a good movie. Okay. Yeah. I only bring that up because I almost want to return to that and watch it because I was pretty like medium on that movie. Mm -hmm. But I feel like now that I've learned a little bit more about some of like these small things that are happening, I think I would key on those a little bit easier on yes. a rewatch of that. I, um, yeah. I will say, I mean, it's not nearly at this level. No. And it's no, not no. trying to say as much, but that movie has more power if you are from an Asian culture or understand some of the familial structures, you know, why they would lie to her, why they would do this, that, and the other yeah. thing. But kind of like my criticism of soul, it's trying to be an American heartwarming story at the end. So, you know, it's, it's fine. It was, it was, <laughs> it was good. And I like Aquafina a lot. This yeah. movie, that's so guttural though. I mean, I know Criterion ruins it, but it's not just that. I mean, the boyfriend. Jesus, I was not expecting, you like know, a murder as to that, happen. Yeah. yeah, as that broke apart, I was thinking, 
you know, there might be, there's a lot of sexual tension. There's a lot of, you know, they start telling the parallel story of the dad and, and like how he had his first sort of romantic experience. And then she's in a police station. This guy's brutally murdered <laughs> their mm-hmm. teacher. And you're like, what the fuck? There's like blood handprints. And, and then it's so casual too. She just walks by it. And then uh, next scene, you're like, yeah, That's this right. shit happens, man. So we're done here. All right. Well, the machine has told us that we need to wrap up, but I guess before we move into our ratings, do you think this movie holds up after 21 years? And do you think it's still culturally relevant? I don't know. I, I thought it was impactful for me. I think that the themes are universal, uh, that they should be discussed. So for example, um, yeah, just like empathetic human philosophical discussions about yeah, death, love, aging, regret, all of that stuff. It's all in there. It's packed in at 2 and 45. Like we discussed, will someone sit through three hours of a near mockumentary or documentary style uh, slow burn? I don't know. Will the the themes are universal, but you know, the structure around it, this is a video game company. This is not what video game companies look like no. anymore. <laughs> um, this is a family. I mean, nobody in Asia lives in an apartment like that anymore. Uh, the whole time we were watching it, we thought they were an upper class yeah, this was um, middle class, fund. right? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you watch the YouTube videos now, Hong Kong, you pay 700,000 US dollars for our 200 square feet. So, you know, there's things like that that are going to fade and, and date it. Um, but I do think that if you're someone like us who's a nerd and wants to watch cinema, I will use that word. Um, Capital C cinema. <laughs> for, uh, you know, for this grander discussion, this, this is a great movie and it, it'll hold up. You just got to give it 40 minutes <laughs> just just write it out just write it out and uh and you will be rewarded well that's what dave and i thought uh but what do you think you can send feedback to kyle and dave vs the machine at gmail.com you can also find us on twitter or instagram with the handle kdvstm and if you want to see the entire list of films that we've watched and the ratings we've given you can go to our letterboxd page letterboxd.com slash kdvstm If you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in another apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as $1 per month. Of course, we do not want you to donate if it in any way causes you financial hardship. Something you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. Uh, So let's get to that rating of this movie. Dave, out of five, what would you give this movie? I think, uh, uh, let me explain this way. When I left our theater, as much as I enjoyed it, I thought I was going to end up in like a four. And then as I researched, and this is the problem with contextualization, the intent of the new wave of Taiwanese cinema, uh, that it's intentionally trying to be a slow burn and uh, promoting their cultural thing. It goes up to a five because it's so successful at that. So um, I think I'll just split the difference and stay at a four and a half. I, I think this is a great movie. I don't think it's for everyone, but like we talked mm-hmm. about with Malkovich, uh, I think there's a lot of power in this film. So yeah, I'll go with a, I'll go with a four and a half. You're yeah. going four and a half? Well, that's what I was going to give it to. Mostly just based on that it is that bit of a slow burn to get into the movie itself. You two are so predictable. But overall, I loved it. I mean, I have a feeling that perhaps if I revisit this again, that it probably will slowly creep up to that five for me. I think it's one of those slower films that I'll eventually end up uh, absolutely loving. But that being said, because we are working on this top 250 from Letterboxd, that averages, of course, to 4.5. So it ties with one other film that is currently on our list, 
which is the Iron Giant. So, oh, yeah, do you think this is better Giant. or worse than the Iron Giant? Uh, better. Boy, I was hoping that we'd have a bit of a fight here this episode, yeah, like, Dave. What, what is it going to take for us to have some Discord? It's just South right, Park, right, right. I think. I, I, I don't know how we'll find a movie. I, hopefully, wherever we end up next, mm-hmm. we'll bring up something that we can start wrestling about. Because uh, I'm kind of getting tired of agreeing with you, Kyle. So entering our list at the number three position is Yee. Well, let's find out what we are going to review here next week, Dave. Let me push this button. Oh, wow. We're going like way back in time here. We are going to be watching City Lights. Ooh, Chaplin. Chaplin. Silent film. Chaplin. Oh, my ears need a rest, so I'm excited. I'm excited to not hear anything. (laughs) That's right. It's completely silent. There's absolutely nothing that can be heard in that movie. Um, I look forward to that. Have you seen City Lights before? No. Oh, wow. Okay. So I I have seen City Lights before. Have you seen any of Chaplin's films? Uh, I don't know in their entire... Of course, I've seen like pieces, sh- and I pieces. can recognize some of these moments, but I cannot tell you definitively. Uh, I, I'm excited. I'm a big fan of Chaplin um, and Buster Keaton, to be honest with you. I think yes. there was some great stuff that was made uh, in the silent era, and uh, City Lights is one of the best. But I'm I trying to think, maybe, maybe the machine has been subtly telling us what we're going to do here with our film this week because you know we talked all about the films of 1999 i guess it would make sense that we're just going to follow that up with the films of 2000 so let me try that two zero 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 enter confirm access denied oh no it was not kyle i only have two chances left we can do better than this we can do better let's try think about one one one, not, one? No, 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 no. I'm not, trying, I'm not trying any of your stupid suggestions. Maybe it's unfair, but I blame Topeka, Kansas.